We're going to be talking today about how to listen to Jesus on purpose. How to listen to Jesus on purpose. I don't know if you've ever talked to someone who was a really active listener. You know what I mean? Where you talk to them and they're just like, they're like way too into the conversation and they're like nodding, you know? And you're like, and they're like, you're like, whoa, you care more about what I'm saying than I care about what I'm saying. Like, they're like nodding. I was, Laura and I were watching this show recently and this guy was like listening. He's like nodding along and the person he's talking to is like, stop being such an active listener. Um, you know, active listener is someone who's engaging with what's said. Well, I think Jesus wants us to be um, active listeners and he wants us to listen to him with intent and on purpose. And uh, as we've been going through, uh, as we've been going through John, um, we, uh, we've seen this, this second section of John f- in chapter 13, starting with that amazing act of Jesus washing his disciples' feet, an unparalleled act in all of the ancient world. There's no, there is no evidence of anyone who was a superior washing the feet of someone who would be considered an inferior, a, you know, a st- a teacher to a student or a master to a servant or a teacher to a, a student. And, and Jesus does this. He demonstrates his heart. And then he spends hours just sharing his heart with his disciples. And this last paragraph here is going to be sort of his summer. One writer calls it a summarizing commentary um, and epilogue about uh, his, his, cause in chapter 17, he's going to talk a lot but he's not going to be talking to the disciples. He's going to be talking to the father in prayer as the disciples overhear him. Um, so this is sort of this, this epilogue, this, this summarizing statement of all that he has said to them. And so I want to read it together. Uh, verse 25, I have spoken these things to you in figures of speech. A time is coming when I will no longer speak to you in figures, but I will tell you plainly about the father. On that day, you will ask in my name, and I am not telling you that you will ask the father, that I will ask the father on your behalf for the father himself loves you because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. I came from the father and have come into the world again. I am leaving the world and going to the father. His disciples said, oh, boom. His disciples said, look, now you're speaking plainly and not using any figurative language. Now we know that you know everything and you don't need anyone to question you. By this, we believe that you came from God. Jesus responded to them, do you now believe? Indeed, an hour is coming and has come when each of you will be scattered to his own home and you will leave me alone. Yet I'm not alone because the father is with me. I've told you these things so that in me, you may have peace. You will have suffering in this world. Be courageous. I have conquered the world. Let's pray and ask God to help us as we study his word together. Father, in Jesus name, by your spirit, I pray your word would be clear to our hearts. As we listen, you would open our minds, our ears, that we would um, put aside distractions that may be clouding our mind or grabbing for our attention. That you would help me to say what you want me to say and 
not say anything you don't want me to say, that your spirit have freedom to edit me, um, and that you would just take this word and, and press it into our hearts as, as you know we need. And uh, we just ask that, Jesus, you would be lifted up in this. In your name we pray, Lord Jesus. Amen. Amen. Now, I'm going to show you a slide here. Now, now, this is a little, it's a lot. Okay, but it's, this, this is uh, Greek, and I'm, I kind of apologize for that. But uh, the reason I'm put, putting this up in Greek is because um, even if you don't know Greek, which I'm guessing you probably don't, which is fine, um, you can at least see that the bold part is identical in all four. So 1511, 16.1, 16.4, 16.33. It says, these things I have spoken to you so that. Now, the reason I put it up in the original Greek is because the translations will translate it a little bit differently to give it a little bit smoother flow in the the course of the text, and, and that's there's nothing wrong with that, but I just want you to see that he says exactly the same thing here four times, and the important point is that the last one is part of our text this evening, this afternoon, and that is this culminating sense of purpose, because that last the kind of that middle word there, the one that's the small little word, it looks like I-V-A, that's actually the Greek word hina, indicates purpose. Now, I'm sorry, again, in advance and afterward for this, but I just thought it was helpful for you to see how he says the purpose of what he's saying in 1511, so that their joy would be full. And then three times in chapter 16, verse 1, so they wouldn't stumble, verse four, um, so that they would remember what he'd said to them. And then culminating here in verse 33, as we saw in the last verse, so that they will have peace in him. So we see here the purpose of Jesus in speaking. And then what I think we, we can draw out of this is to think about how Jesus wants us to listen to him, to be active listeners, to listen to him on purpose. And here's the first way, follow his father focus, follow his father focus. Look at verse 25. I've spoken these things to you in figures of speech. A time is coming when I will no longer speak to you in figures, but I will tell you plainly about the father. Now, the, 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 when he says figures of speech, that actually literally could be a proverb. I've spoken to you in Proverbs, something that um, is sort of like unclear at the beginning, a, a sort of un obscure or sort of vague expression. And he says, I've spoken to you in these ways, but I now will speak to you, not in figures or proverbs, but I will tell you plainly about the father. I will tell you about the father plainly. And the word there for plainly is a word that can also mean boldness, confidence, or conviction. The great missiologist Leslie Newbegin said, it's the characteristic mark of the presence of of the spirit. So what he's promising them is that there will be a clarity, a boldness, a conviction 
For what they hear, that it can only be true when the Spirit is present. We already know from verse 7 of chapter 16, right? He says, it's better that I go away, otherwise the Spirit won't come. He, he, as, as the former president of our network of churches, J.D. Greer, has said, that the Spirit inside of you is better than Jesus beside you. So he says, this time is coming when I will speak to you plainly about the Father. Now, what's really interesting is he's talked about the Father like a ton already in John. And like, so this, these aren't going to be on the screen. And really the sense is I want you to feel almost a little bit dizzy from all the ways that Jesus talks about the Father. So uh, you can try to write these down, but what might even be better is if you just kind of close your eyes and just listen, because I'm going to give you kind of a summary statement and then read you a verse. So the Father is the object of worship, and so is the Son. John 4, 21, Jesus says to the woman at the well, Believe me, an hour is coming when you will worship the Father, neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem, but you will worship in spirit and in truth. The Father and the Son do the same work. Jesus replied, John 5, 19, I, I tell you truly, the son is not able to do anything on his own, but only what he sees the father doing. For whatever the father does, the son likewise does these things. The father gives life and love to the son eternally. John 5, 26, just as the father has life in himself, so also he has granted to the son to have life in himself. Only the son has seen the father, John 4, 24, excuse me, 646, not that anyone has seen the Father except the one who is from God, Jesus. He has seen the Father. To know the Son is to know the Father. Remember, Philip says, Rabbi, teacher, if you would just tell us and show us the Father, it would be enough for us. And Jesus says, John 14, 9, have I been among you all this time and you still don't know me, Philip? The one who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? The Father sent the Son. John 5, 6, 57, just as the living Father sent me and I live because of the Father. And then this kind of culminating statement, John 10, 30, the Father and the Son are one. I and the Father, we are one. Distinct persons, but one nature, one God. Now, all that to say, when Jesus says, on that day, I won't speak to you in proverbs or parables or figures of speech, but I will tell you plainly about the Father. Just think about all the things he's already said. All the things he's already said. And you think, if this is the shadow, then how amazing must the substance be? If these amazing and mind-blowing truths are the figure of speech, then how amazing must the fullness be? Jesus is obsessed with the Father. Jesus is obsessed with the Father. He talks about the Father on and on and on and on. Follow his Father focus. Look at uh, verses 26 and 27. On that day, again, remember that's an eschatological end time sort of marker. On that day mean, means that's, a, that's a, the coming day of the Lord, inaugurated in Christ, one day consummated by Christ. On that day, you will ask in my name, and I'm not telling you that I will ask the Father on your behalf, for the Father himself loves you because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. Um, so um, 
I, I always give this caveat now. When I make a pop culture reference, I am not giving a recommendation. I'm using an illustration. So, um, and I know, I know you guys have been, like, I was gone for a couple weeks, so you didn't get your Marvel references. So, um, so, so the, new, the new Disney Plus Marvel show, Loki, right? Um, if you've seen it, then you'll, you'll know what I'm talking about. If not, the, so the, kind of at the center of the show is this entity called the TVA, the Time Variant Authority. And it's sort of this typical 50s and 60s era corporate bureaucracy. Where, or if you've seen the movie Ford versus Ferrari, where um, in, in, the, in the 60s, for something to get to the desk of Henry Ford II, it literally has to pass through like a dozen people's hands. It goes from one desk to the next, to the next, to the next, to the next, and people sign it and they hand and they pass it on to the next person. I think sometimes we have this sense that the, the way Jesus works with the Father is sort of like a bureaucracy, sort of like a game of telephone. I'll play that game of telephone, right? So you sit in a line or in a circle and you whisper to the person in front of you, I like Cheez-Its. And they say, I like, you said, I like Cheez-Its. But then they say, I like cheeses. And then they tell the person in front of them and the person in front of them says, I like Jesus. And then, and then the person in front of them somehow mishears and says, I don't like Jesus. So by the time you started it, someone who said, I like Jesus, people think they're a heretic because they don't like Jesus, right? This game of, of telephone. Well, I think sometimes we have this sense where this is sort of passing along of information that somehow the spirit's involved when I pray and then I, I pray in Jesus name and he kind of like takes it and he takes it to the father. But that's not what Jesus says here. He says in that day, you will ask in my name, but I'm not telling you I will ask the Father on your behalf. He's saying the Father and I and the Spirit, we are one God and we hear simultaneously. Thomas Aquinas says that Christ intercedes for them not as though they were strangers and had no access to the Father, but he makes their prayers more effective. Leslie Newbegin says those who come in Jesus' name they come as those whose life is his life, who can say Abba with the same freedom as his and who are beloved by the Father as he is. It's not this game of telephone. It's not this, this sort of like process of one to the next to the next, but we pray in Christ by the Spirit to the Father, one God. We follow the Father focus of the Son there in verse 28. Notice what he says. He says, I came from the Father and have come into the world. Again, I am leaving the world and going to the Father. Jesus, he, he just cannot wait to get back to the Father. He can't wait to be in the Father's presence, not in his God, divine nature that he ever left the Father, but in his human nature, he is going back to the Father. He says, I came from the Father in my eternal generation as God the son. And he says, and I came into the world in my mission as the son of man. Follow his father focus. How to pray on purpose? Follow the father focus of Christ. Secondly, believe in order to understand. Look at verses 29 and 30. His disciples said, look, 
Now you're speaking plainly and not using any figurative language. Now we know that you don't that you know everything and don't need anyone to question you. By this we believe that you came from God. Now, I get not annoyed, but I think it's a little bit of a cliche. When we joke about how stupid the disciples were, oh, can you believe this? Because I honestly think that none of us would have done any better. We would have been as fumbling, bumbling, dense as, as any one of them. But this is a moment where they really don't get it. Because he's just told them, on that day, I will tell you plainly and not in figurative language. And they think that that day somehow came in the second between when he stopped talking and when they started talking. Oh, now we get it. And I think sometimes we approach the Christian life in sort of this way, like now, oh, now I get it. Now I understand. Well, the thing is, did they get it? The disciples all throughout John been like, now we know and have come to know that you are the son of God. Who will, to whom will we go? You have the words of eternal life. Do they get it? Yes. Do they get it? No. We're, they're in this continual process of understanding, but not understanding. They think that he's already speaking plainly. There's this irony um, th that they think they get it when the reality is they, they kind of get it, but they don't really get it. Augustine said, um, we believe so that we can understand. And um, I, won't, I won't throw any more Greek at you, but I will throw a little Latin your way. The, the phrase that, that he used was fides quarens intellectum, faith seeking understanding. Faith seeks understanding. I believe in order to understand. I believe so that I can understand. That's exactly the opposite of what our culture tells us. Our culture tells us trust but verify. That we understand and then we believe. They say until you show me that there's evidence. It's fake news and I won't believe it. Our culture tells us we can't believe something without evidence to prove that it's worth trusting. But Jesus says Trust me, and then you'll start to get it. So maybe the reason you don't understand this cluster of things that are happening in your life, any, you know, the, 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 the things that don't seem to make sense, and maybe it's because you're trying to understand so that you can believe the Lord has your best at heart for your good and his glory, when in reality, you need to start trusting him, and then you'll start to get it. When, uh, when we were in California... Um, it's, it's so crazy. Um, it's like, there's this culture. It's like, everyone's got tattoos now. It's weird. I haven't lived there for like 15 years. And it's like, I went, I moved away and everyone, everyone started getting tatted up. So like, like young moms with small kids, like normal moms, like, you know, they're like full sleeve, like full tattoo sleeve. And I'm, it's like, we don't, it's like, we don't have that here as at least not as much like, and like, my brothers and sisters, like, they're all getting tattoos. Like, my dad's getting tattoos. Like, everyone's getting tattoos. I don't know. It's like something in the water. Or maybe it's the wildfire, the ash. And I was like, I don't want to put it. There's, like, no part of my body that I want to have, like, someone look at more closely because it's got something, like, inked on it. Uh, there's no part of my body that I want to show off with a tattoo. But I started thinking, like, if I got a tattoo, what would I get? 
And uh, I decided if I get a tattoo, which I'm not going to get, I would get a Fides Quarens across the front of my forearm, faith-seeking. Um, and uh, I'm not going to do that, but if I did, that's what I would do because I believe that captures the sense of what it means to live life in a world that Jesus has not yet fixed, that we believe in order to understand, that our faith is not yet sight, that we don't yet know fully, but one day we will be fully known. He continues in verse 31 and 32 with sign of this sense of uh, exasperation. Every commentary you read basically says Jesus is like annoyed. Like, like if you can eye roll without sinning, that's what Jesus is doing here. Like, Jesus responded, do you now believe? Like, oh, now? Now you get it? You think you get it? Indeed, an hour is coming and has come when each of you will be scattered to his own home and you will leave me alone. Yet I am not alone because the Father is with me. There, there's this sovereignty of God in scattering his people. Acts 8 tells the story of the persecution that broke out uh, when Stephen was martyred and that those who were scattered, went along preaching the gospel, ended up planting the church at Antioch, the greatest, the greatest missionary sending church in the New Testament. So there's this mysterious plan of God in scattering his people. But here, Jesus means it as an indictment on his disciples that they don't stick with him. He's, he's like, you say you're right or die, but you're not right or die. You're ghosting. And you're going to ghost me and I will be alone in my human nature, but I'm not alone because the father is with me. Now this is intended as an indictment on the disciples, but I think we also need to think about in, in his human nature, what this meant for Jesus, like to think I have these guys that I've poured my life into that I've given like the best years of my life to, I'm literally about to die for them. And they're with me. They've said, hey, John 11, Thomas, let's go with him that we may die with him. Even if they deny you, I will never deny you. They, they say they're, they're with me. And then in his moment of deepest need, they abandon him. And I, I just, I can't imagine that Jesus um, was not full of grief at that. It's like Paul in... Um, the end of, at, at the end of his ministry, for, for a lifetime of serving the Lord, what does he get? He gets a dank prison cell, and he gets friends that leave him alone. He writes to Timothy in 2 Timothy 4.9, he says, Make every effort to come to me soon. Hurry to see me. Why? Because I'm alone. Because Demas has deserted me. Since he loved this present world and has gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia, Titus to Dalmatia. Only Luke is with me. There's this profound sense of loneliness that comes when we follow the Lord. That people will abandon us. Um, and it's never easy. It's never easy. And uh, it's funny, I was preaching at a at my friend's church, and it's, I love preaching to other guys' churches because you can say stuff to them that like I wouldn't say to you all because if I said it to you, it would be like super self-serving, but because I'm saying it for Mark, um, like I really believe it. I'm like, hey, don't ghost your pastor. You know, like it's been a hard year for everyone, but it's also been a hard year for 
for him. Like guys are dropping like flies out of the ministry. And I tell you, um, I, I get it. I get why. It's been a hard year. It's been a hard year for all of us. It's been a really hard year. Um, and I don't know, maybe you feel alone. And maybe you actually are alone. Um, Jesus knows what it's like. You will leave me alone. He knows what it's like. He knows what it's like to get ghosted. He knows what it's like to get abandoned. He says, yet I'm not alone because the Father is with me. And just as Jesus was not alone because the Father is with, was with him, neither are you alone because Christ is with you. So these, these men who abandoned their Lord in, their, in his time of need, these are the guys, that, this is like his plan for the world. C.H. Dodd, the great scholar, said, it is part of the character and genius of the church that its foundation members were discredited men. It owed its existence not to their faith, courage, or virtue, but to what Christ had done with them, and this they could never forget. These guys, at the end of the day, there's no way they were going to say, we're building this thing on our charisma, on our talent, on our wisdom, on our understanding. This is a work beyond this world. Um, and uh, I just honestly, just if I could just get super transparent, like we're three years in basically to this church plant and, you know, we're here and it's, it's cool, but like you look around, there's like a lot of people who are not here um, and it's hard. And in some ways it feels like, wow, like we've come all this way and, uh, and you know, I thought we'd be further along by now. And, um, um, and it's, it's tough. And, uh, you know, we've had so many people leave since COVID hit. Um, some for understandable reasons and some for honestly, just not good reasons, just like, just kind of drift away or, and you know, I'm, it's like, I'm not, I, I'm not trying to be uh, bear animosity, but it's like, what, what, like, Lord, like, what, what are you doing? And I, uh, I, I told, I told Laura this week, um, you know, we're starting again this fall and, uh, we're, I, I just like, God wants us here. And I'm confident of that. He keeps, opening doors and providentially showing us he wants this church here. And, uh, but there's a guy named Ray Ortland, who's a pastor in Nashville. And uh, he was the pastor of this, uh, this church that he he was pastor of two churches and they both fired him. He got, he went to one church, they fired him and he went to another church and they fired him. And that's, I mean, I don't know about you, but that's, and it wasn't like he'd done anything wrong. Like they fired him because there was like, like unhealthy, ungodly stuff happening and he was like preaching the gospel. And they're like, we don't want the gospel. We don't like the gospel. Why are you preaching us the gospel? You know, and so they, they ousted him. And he, he in, his, in his like late 50s, uh, went to start our, this church in Nashville. And he said, we had nothing. We were broken and empty. And the only thing we had was Jesus. And God did this like amazing work. And I just wonder like if God is bringing us into a place kind of like that where, um, I mean, if, if this church succeeds... And if we are fruitful and flourish by his grace, it's not going to be because you have like a a good looking pastor that people like, like, you know, honestly, 
Sometimes it's like, man, that pastor's good looking. Everyone wants to go see him. Like, this is nice, you know. And it's like not like the best preacher, you know. It's like, okay, yeah, he's good, teaches the Bible. But if, you know, and it's like if this church succeeds, it won't be because of any one person here, let, especially not because of me or as awesome as our leaders are, our leaders. If this church flourishes, it will be because, as that quote from C.H. Dodd said, what Christ has done in us and with us. Um, and I, I'm looking forward to what that's going to be. And I know God has something for us. Anyway, that's like way, that's like way out of, so I asked the Holy Spirit to add stuff in and I don't know, hopefully that was him. I don't know if it was, you know, if not, just pretend I didn't say it. All right. Third, how to, how to pray on purpose, rest in Christ, rest in Christ. Verse 33, I've told you these things so that in me, you may have peace. You will have suffering in this world. Be courageous. I have conquered the world. This, this purpose statement, again, why has Jesus told them all the things that he's told them? For hours, he's been talking to them in this upper room. Why? So that you may have peace. Peace in him. And he says, you will have suffering in this world. Now, we love the promises of God. I will never leave you nor forsake you, praise God. He who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it until the day of Christ Jesus, praise God. Those promises are good and true and worth building your life on. But this is also one of the promises of God. You will have suffering in this world. This is pandemic, it's been crazy. You will have suffering in this world. Well, someone I love got sick. They died tragically or slowly and painfully. You will have suffering in this world. I lost my job. I lost our income. You will have suffering in this world. Man, my mental health has just gone to pieces. You will have suffering in this world. It's not surprising that we have suffering in this world. What's surprising is that so often Christians are surprised by it. We will have suffering in this world. And that is exactly when the peace of Christ and peace in Christ comes into play. Because he doesn't promise us a life without suffering. He promises a life, us a life with suffering, but with peace in him. So be courageous because he has conquered the world. Leslie Newbegin, the missiologist. He wrote a little commentary on John. It's just so powerful. I actually didn't discover it till halfway through this series. And um, it's just, just some, he's one of my favorite <clears throat> missionary theologians. And, um, but I didn't know about this commentary. And I've quoted him a few times today just because it's so, just, I found his, his thoughts on this section so powerful. It's only like two or three pages, but so much gold. And uh, he said, he says this of, of the, of the, conquering the conquest of Jesus. The victory is wholly his. Now check this out. At the end, the triumph song of the church will not be, we have overcome, but worthy is the lamb who was slain. At the end, the triumph song of the church will not be, we have overcome, but worthy is the lamb who was slain. And may the lamb receive the reward of his suffering. So, 
So, I'm getting used to this thing. By the end, I'm just be like a ninja, just like boom. So what now? Now, um, you guys know this, right? Um, I don't know when it was. When I preached that message on prayer a couple months ago, three months ago, and I gave like a lot of specific application about like prayer cards, different ways you could pray. And Laura's like, man, that was a really good sermon. Not like most of your sermons. I'm like, oh, she didn't say it that way, but um, she said, you just had so much specific application. Um, she's like, you always get all the theology stuff, but you know, like how do we put this into practice? And so all that to say, I'm gonna put some pretty specific things up and these are not like some sort of new legalistic rule that like, if you don't do this this week, you're a sinner. But I just want to give you ways to think about how to put into practice the word of God in your own life. So these are things I think, oh, this is maybe how I would respond to this message. And what I don't want you so much to do now, maybe you do these specific things. That's fine. Uh, well, some of them. Wait, wait, there's one you might have a little bit of an issue with. Um, but more, I want you to start thinking specifically, how does this connect to my life? So each of these directly connects. The first one is follow the father focus of Jesus. The second one is believe in order to understand. And the third is to rest in him. And each, each point is based on each of those points. So here's, here's the first one. Read through John and circle every time father is mentioned. Now, I didn't have time to do that. This, this was... Um, this was a really, really weird week because um, like uh, some of you may have seen on Thursday, I, I wasn't trying to be passive aggressive or like cagey because I really hate it when people do that. Um, but there was just so much going on in our family and church and stuff. And uh, I'm happy to share any of that with any of you if you want to know um, that uh, I just was like, we need prayer. And uh <clears throat> Laura got back from a meeting that she was really excited about. And within a few minutes, we got two emails within 10 minutes of each other. One, like, with some of the most painful news we've had uh, since our church started. And another with some of the best news we've had since the church started. And then uh, her dad, who's, they're, they're, her folks still live with us because they're renovating their condo. It's not done yet. And he's got uh, ALS, and most of you know that. Um, they thought he was having respiratory failure and he had to go to the ER and it was, just, so this was Thursday. So, um, I didn't have time to do this because it was a crazy week, but I would love to do this and I might still do this. Now I've got a handy dandy little Bible software program where I can actually just search every time father's mentioned and it just pulls it up for me. Uh, but that's cheating. You're not allowed to do that. Um, Go through the Gospel of John, start in John 1-1, and instead of binge-watching two hours of Netflix or whatever, um, circle every time Father is mentioned. Father, 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 Father. Follow his Father focus. And you're going mean, to, I just can't imagine a more rich and rewarding use of your time. Second one, get a Fides Quarren's tattoo. Okay. Again, it's now. I mean, it would be really cool if everyone came back and had a tattoo on their forearm. And I'd be like, well, I'm not doing that. That's silly, you know. Um, I just think, like, this is kind of a metaphor for how do you burn this into your brain? How do you burn this into your brain? That faith seeks understanding, that our faith is not yet sight. And, and 
maybe not by literally tattooing it to yourself, but pasting it onto your mind. And then finally, stop praying for the suffering to stop. Now this, now you're like, you skipped a word. Because it says stop praying only for the suffering to stop. Because it's not wrong to pray for the suffering to stop. Jesus, Jesus prayed that. Father, if it be your will, take this cup from me. I can't, I, I don't know that I can bear this. Stop praying only for the suffering to stop and start praying even more for the grace to trust God in the midst of the suffering. Because God's purpose may not be the miracle of the suffering stopping, but the miracle of you becoming a more faith-filled, loving, Christ-exalting person at the end of the suffering, whenever it ends. And it may not be till the end of your life. That suffering may be a lifetime of sorrow and pain. You're like, wow, that's really uplifting. That's super encouraging. Look at the life of Christ. He was called a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. He wasn't called a man of, now, now do I, I think Jesus probably laughed and I think, I think he probably was, I mean, he clearly had this magnetism, was someone people liked to be around. But you imagine the weight on his heart every moment of every day, knowing the mission God had given him to do. And it ultimately led him after a, faith, a lifetime of faithfulness to betrayal, abandonment, scourging, and crucifixion. And that was the end of his life. That was the end. Now, what's the miracle God did after that? He raised him from the dead. So your hope is not necessarily what God will do in the next two to four to eight years weeks, months, or years, your hope is in the promises of God to raise death to life. So stop praying only for the suffering to stop and start praying for the grace to trust and start listening to Jesus on purpose. Let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name, by your spirit, I just ask for um, you to just take this word to impress it into our heart and onto our heart. and um, Whatever way you know each person here needs. And I'm sure there are as many needs uh, in this room as there are people there in this room, and probably more because every one of us probably has more than <laughs> just one thing we need. And so I pray you would meet us in the moment, even now. In Christ's name we pray, amen.